Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 13 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I'm so glad you are here today. You're going to hear my conversation with Pamela Costa on sexuality and shame. This is a topic that I'm very passionate about. I sit often, comes up in my session with my clients and also with my friends. And it's very important to understand how you can overcome and move past sexual shame and what do you need to understand how it works and how it, it affects us. And it comes in a very subtle way. Oftentimes, People have struggles around experiencing pleasure and desire. And when we get to it, we understand it's because of the shame they have around their sexuality, around their bodies, about shame, about sex being sinful. So I'm very excited to offer this conversation. And my guest today is Mrs. Pamela Costa. After a decade and a half at Apple and Facebook, Pam left her career in high tech to found Down to There to share her real life stories of challenges and success around sexuality in her marriage. She believes that speaking openly about sex can help individuals and couples find new ways to renew and deepen desire and intimacy in their own relationships. She also believes in the healing power of sharing and is currently conducting research on this with Down to Their Circles, free peer-led discussion groups to help friends support and inspire each other around sex and relationships. 
She is currently a student in JFK's Holistic Counseling Program and the Somatica Institute. Here's my conversation with Pam Kosa. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Mo'ali. And on today's show, we're going to talk about sexuality and shame and and how uh, shame and the feeling we have about ourselves, about others can impact our relationships and our sexuality. I'm super excited, as I said during the introduction about our guest today. We have Mrs. Pamela Costa, the founder of Down to There. And thank you so much, Pamela, for joining us. It's my pleasure. Glad to be here. Do you prefer Pamela or Pam? Pam. All right. Okay. So I read a little bit about your background, about how did you get into educating people about sexuality and communication in your blog. And I think it's fantastic for our listeners to hear a little bit about that. Tell me, how did you get into this round of like educating people about sexuality? Sure. Yeah, it was not intended. This is not the path I set down um, when I when I started my career. Um, I actually started as an engineer and then shifted into business and, and really enjoyed those jobs. I thought I'd do them forever. But kind of in the background, what was happening for me um, in my outside work life was My relationship with my husband was pretty good in a lot of respects, but when it came to intimacy and sexuality, we struggled a little bit from the standpoint of, like, it's very stereotypical, (laughs) the things that we struggled with. They were, you know, his desire was higher, mine was lower, and um, it was something that, like, maybe every six to 12 months, it would kind of come to a head, and we would have like a really difficult conversation about it where he was like, I would like more sex. And I said, I wouldn't. Um, and it was really, really difficult. And we eventually found uh, a coach and therapist to work with around that issue. And I honestly, when I ended up going to her, it was, uh, or when we ended up going together to her, I didn't expect a lot of change. Uh, I kind of thought I was wired the way that I was and things were the way they were and I was doing it because I thought it was probably a good thing to do, but I didn't expect change. And um, what I actually learned in going to her was uh, was really transformative in our relationship. Um, we have quite a healthy sex life <laughs> now. Um, and yeah, and so as I, as I discovered that and I was uh, going along that journey and starting to share with friends... I even started kind of writing about it publicly because I was like, whoa, people should know what I didn't know back then. Um, so that's kind of the shorter version of <laughs> what happened. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And it's so, as you said, unfortunately, it's so common. And I know my clients were coming, my friends, when they're struggling, everyone said, oh, that's that's marriage. That's how the relationship is going to be, going to focus on positive. And they don't know that like there is another way. And I'm so glad that you were able to kind of address it. And you're talking about it openly so people can learn from that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, I think people think, yeah, challenges are to be expected. And what I found was there's actually a lot of, I like, I'm so glad that the challenge was there because I think where we are on the other side of that was way better than if we never had the challenge at all. Um, So I think that's, that's one of the very powerful things I've learned in this whole process. 
Absolutely. So again, just so fascinating. And I was reading about it. You and you have a very good style of writing. It was like very interesting to read about it. So um, then I'm now going to just segue to our questions because I'm so excited about the topic. And I know that's something that you wrote extensively on that. So about shame, how do you think the shame shape our sexuality? What's what is its effect? Sure. Um, I think, and, you know, I'll speak kind of from personal experience and then kind of brought into some of the things I've noticed um, in others and with clients as well. I think at the highest level, it just really limits, um, shame limits the full expression of our sexuality. And, you know, sexuality can be this like huge, powerful, creative, inspiring, energetic force. And, when we feel shame about some or all ex- aspects of our sexuality, um, we really put ourselves, we make ourselves very, very small. So for instance, like one of the messages that I think women in our culture get from a very young age is that if you like sex, something bad will happen to you. Or if you like sex, you are a slut. Mm-hmm. Um, and men don't get very helpful messages either. They get messages like, if you show your desire, you'll be a creep. You know, you'll, your advances will be unwanted. And so when we're living in that kind of shame, that if I like this, I'm a bad person, or if I show this, I'm a bad person, um, we will make ourselves really small. We will kind of shut our sexuality off. I definitely did that. I, it wasn't something I was doing consciously at all, but that's definitely, you know, I grew up in this world where like, keep it in your pants, but then when you meet Prince Charming, it'll just all magically work <laughs> because I right. like, quote, kept it in my pants for so long. <laughs> um, that didn't, you know, it didn't just, I couldn't just turn it on. And then I, I think there's, there's some other ways that shame shapes our sexuality around you know, body images, you know, like, what should our bodies look like? You know, porn is so pervasive, we think we should look like that, or we should like those acts. And certainly some of us do look like that. And some of us do like those acts, but a whole bunch of other people don't, right? And so when that's one of the primary ways that we see sex in our culture, I think there's one last part too, that I'm trying to wrap my head around now as I'm thinking about it. But There's this other aspect where we don't get taught a lot about sex or about pleasure, but somehow we think that we should know um, how to to do it. And certainly there's like the animalistic nature, right? We're like, oh yeah, we can just have sex. But (laughs) but there's a lot about sex that we have to either learn about ourselves and then share with our partners, or they have to learn about themselves and share with us. And because we've got this idea that we should just know it, we don't have those conversations and we don't do that exploration. Absolutely. And I love when you talk about different kind of like shame people have around different elements of like that's involved in sex. So for example, as you said, like body shaming, I work with eating disorder clients and even me and many clients who don't have eating disorders, but the feeling about like, you know, my body is not the right type for sex. It's too small, too big. People are talking about how shameful they feel about like their sexual preferences. As you were talking about that, like women shouldn't supposed to feel sexual until they're in a like committed relationship, they're married. 
right? <laughs> as you said, it's not that easy to turn it on and off. And it's off. My experience is that stays off, unfortunately, and they need to work on it. It's fascinating how pervasive this can be. It is. It's so, it's such a huge issue for most people around sexuality. Um, and like you said, it's, it's shame from just the concept that I would like sex to something more like, you know, the external image of my body to something really, really private and personal, like how do my genitals look? And there's just so many layers there. And it's like, it's a wonder that any of us ever have sex (laughs) (laughs) with all of these ways in which we can, you know, have shame. You know, it's no wonder people have sex with the lights off and, you know, get into a routine about sex because it's scary to say, hey, I would want this other thing. Or what about if we tried this? Um, Because you're worried, you know, I'm worried that my partner is going to, you know, or or even to say, like, I like it like this. Because like, maybe that's embarrassing somehow, you know? Right. Like talking about what you want and kind of putting yourself, making yourself vulnerable in that way can be very challenging because of the shame messages we got. So I'm just kind of curious. We talked a little bit about, okay, we'll learn about uh, from, we got some of these shame-based messages from our society. But based on your experience, what other places people get like this sexual, like a shame around sexuality from? Where, where are these things coming from? Sure. Yeah. Because it, it, it's interesting, right? I think if you watch like a, a little kid in life, like they are, they're not born to be, you know, they don't have body image issues. They don't, they're very interested in their genitals, you know, right, right. <laughs> like kids are very, very kind of naturally, I think in their body and interested in pleasure. And then somehow things shift. So, you know, like you said, culture is definitely a thing. I think that, um, you know, there's there's other places that we get. We, we get really bad sex education. Um, <laughs> we get sex education that focuses on all the things that could go wrong with sex. Right. And so I think that tends to, I don't know, I think as humans, we, we can really latch on to negative things and positive things we need a lot more reinforcement for. Um, so the education we get is not really great. Um, I definitely just got taught about infections that I could get, how I might get pregnant, um, how I might get raped, um, you know, and I didn't get how it might feel good, you know, and, and how I could, you know, learn about my body um, in ways that weren't like super, super medicalized. Mm-hmm. Um, so education is not great. Um, I think, you know, our parents, um, <laughs> unfortunately, aren't comfortable with their own sexuality for the most part. Of course, there's there's exceptions to this rule. But I think, you know, even with my own, I have a nine-year-old son and I'm like in this field and sometimes I don't know how to have certain conversations, you know, so I think we get these messages sometimes from our parents, Um, you know, church, definitely. Some of us are exposed to environments where we get messages that, um, you know, aren't necessarily super helpful in terms of keeping us, you know, open and positive about sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked about the parents and it's just, it's so challenging about because parents, like parenting doesn't come with a guide, uh, guideline or <laughs> guidebook and they're trying to do their best. I know that in my case, I didn't get no information about sexuality from my parents. For, mm-hmm. And recently after kind of having this podcast, we talked about it, me and my mother, and she was talking about how I was born in Iran, like right after revolution 
And her, she's such a modern intellectual woman. And she was talking to me about, okay, my values, it was, they were different than the society. And I was scared. What if I tell mm-hmm. you about those values and you would get rejected? You would get shamed. That's why she didn't say anything, which obviously <laughs> wasn't a good idea. <laughs> but it's so interesting that there are several things that impacting how, we, what kind of messages we give our children, what kind of sexual education we provide. And you talked about religion. And again, I think religion can be a great resource for people. But I know certainly in the environment I grew up, like it's just like sex was kind of a sin and all those negative messages associated being a sexual being. Right. I had, you know, my experience around religion was I attended this like, and it was my choice. My parents weren't taking me there, but there was this like, non-denominational like Christian church in in our neighborhood that I really enjoyed I you know I met tons of cool friends and they had like a band and music and I really really enjoyed the environment and also they had us take an abstinence pledge you know we wore like a little bracelet and promised we wouldn't have sex till we were married and you know I wanted to fit in in that group and honestly I wasn't interested in having sex at that age anyways But it's still like, it definitely like locked into my brain that like that was the right way to be. And so, yeah, it was not very helpful to me, actually. That's the age where you do start to have feelings and (laughs) enjoying parts of your body. And now it's paired with this message of, you know, the the right thing here is, is to not have sex. Yeah. And I think you were talking about how we might not necessarily kind of accept those values, associate with them. But I feel like in some part of your brain, those messages stay. It's funny thing is like, again, I grew up in a non-religious family at all. Like, you know, my parents, they were atheists, but because of the culture of the community and the country at the time I grew up, I was constantly bombarded with like this sin, those kind of messages negative around sexuality. And I specifically remember that in one of the like religious study classes that you are first to take, they were talking about how if you have sex before marriage, you would never, ever, no matter what kind of a good deed you do, (laughs) gonna get into heaven. And it's, I remember a split of the moment when I was like, when I wanted to have sex and like, obviously I had sex before marriage, but then it just came to my mind and I was shocked that I didn't even know it was there. Right. Yeah. And, and it's interesting too, because I mean, these, these messages are very overt, right? Like that's, you know, you're told directly, like, if you do this, this will happen to you or this won't happen to you. And so that's very, very direct. And it's going to pop back into your mind later. And then I think there's other messages where, like, I learned to masturbate really young. Mm-hmm. I um, think I was like six, and I was at a girlfriend's house, and we went down to her basement. And she was like, "If you lay down this way and wiggle this way, it'll <laughs> feel really good, right?" So this is how I learned to masturbate. I was young, and I remember being like, "Well, this is great." So I I started doing it at home. And I don't remember, I mean, I'm young, or I was young at the time, and I don't have a good memory. But, you know, I think I was probably told, you know, to do that in your room in private. And, and that's not even like, that's not a bad message, right? Like, I think most people, you know, masturbate in private. So it's not a bad message, but I still internalize some shame around that. You know, I, I, I think, okay, well, how, how, especially now with a kid, right? It's like, how could I have that conversation that, you know, is a different one with, with my child. How can I say, yeah, like 
feels good, doesn't it? Like mommy does that and daddy does that and we do it different ways and some people don't do it and some people are really embarrassed by it. And, you know, um, you always, anytime you're doing something sexual, you want to make sure that the people around you are okay. So it's not okay to do that in public, you know, unless you can check with everyone around you, right? I, like, know, I like, love that. You know what I mean, it's like, how do you, how do you have these messages that we need or conversations that we need to have, but still reinforce that it's pleasurable and that it's safe and that people do it. And I, that's where, where like I'm personally like trying to figure out how I do that, right? And I love the way you framed it. I never thought about it that way because I get the, one of the complaints I hear a lot from parents. Like, you know, for example, one parent was talk, telling me that, oh, my God, my daughter is a nymphomaniac. And she's like four. She's <laughs> masturbating. What do you think? What's, what's, what's going on? I was like, you know, it's very normal. And we talked about it. And like she was telling me that like she's washing her every single time she masturbates. So kind of like kind of prevent her, distract her, but can you imagine what kind of messages that gives to the child? Yeah, absolutely. Because how great is it that she's in her body and she's discovering it and, you know, is there a way to talk to her? Um, yeah, about that. And of course, there's age appropriateness. I, I love, I found some really awesome books for um, younger kids where they're like little comic books and it has like the bird who loves to talk about sex and the bee who doesn't like to talk about <laughs> sex. And like, they're just so cute. And it's just such a great way to acknowledge wherever the child is at, you know, because there's some kids who are super interested and want to talk about it and other kids who are thinking about it because we all do, but are super nervous and embarrassed just naturally, you know. Absolutely. And I, I would love to learn more about those books. Yeah, they, they're on yeah. my website. Oh, great. I'll make sure I put a link. I'm, I'm okay, sure good. I'm going to get lots of <laughs> emails about those as well. It always comes up like anytime I'm talking with a group of women around messages we received and shame that we have, there's always that moment in the conversation where they go, oh, no. And they realize that they're passing that down, you know, because they don't know how to have another conversation. So I love the books as resources for that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for mentioning them. So I'm thinking about the other thing is just like shame. How does, how does come up for people? How can they know that? How can they identify that this is the shame message I got where it's coming from? Because I said, as I was sharing with you a few minutes ago, it just can be very subtle. And like, you know, I learned, like I'm kind of tuning into my body and where I feel it. So what are some of the recommendations you have around that? Yeah. So just in terms of how you can identify these things right. and figure out where they came from. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think the figuring out where it came from thing, you know, it may be important, but the figuring out that it exists and that, you know, it's limiting me. Like I, I notice for me, when I'm in shame, I'm like shutting down a feeling, you know, like I'll, you know, I'll, I'll keep going with this masturbation example because that's really helpful. Right. Um, <laughs> so like, you know, I noticed as I started to, explore like I was like okay masturbate but I always do it in private you know in my bedroom mm -hmm. like I was taught to do as a child right, right? And I was like but wait a minute like this is kind of cool like why don't I share this with my partner mm -hmm. and so like I just would like sometimes like things I just noticed so I had a client uh, recently who did just she just noticed like I'll put on this top and I'll look at myself in the mirror and think, 
oh, that looks really good. And then another voice will come in and say, you shouldn't wear that. That's showing too much skin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and so it's these like it's these voices at war in our head, you know, like maybe I'll be having sex with my partner and I'll have a thought like, oh, I really want to do this, but I won't say it. You know, shame is probably at play there. Or like I'll see a guy passing in the grocery store and my mind will go into a fantasy because he attracted me and I was feeling good today. Mm-hmm. And I'll like instantly shut down the fantasy because, quote, I shouldn't do that. You know, no one was going to be hurt by that fantasy. Right, right. But <laughs> he was going to feel pretty good. I might have even smiled at him and he might have felt good. You know? Right, like, right. Like, what is the harm in that, right? It's in my head. So yeah, I think for me and and what I've seen in others is there's like there's that war going on inside and shame is winning because we're not expressing ourselves, we're not sharing a feeling, we're not sharing a desire, a want, a need. We're shutting down pleasure. Like I think even outside of sexuality, I know that I have shame about doing things that aren't productive. You know, like the concept that after this, after we record this, that instead of going and doing something I'm supposed to do, that it's a pretty sunny day outside. (laughs) I might want to take a 10 minute walk. Like, I have shame about that. Like, why should I do that? I wouldn't be doing something productive. You know, it's, it's this war between the instinct of what I want to do versus like, what I should do, you know? Right. And you were talking about secrecy. And I know it's just such a kind of secrecy. It's feeding into the shame. I with some of the couples I work with, one of the reason that like one of the partner, obviously is always there are a number of different reasons, but like one of the partner was telling me recently that I was so shameful about this behavior I wanted to do. I couldn't do it with my partner. So I wanted to be with someone that was she, she didn't know me and there was no attached so it's just as you were talking about the more we're open about it that we can reduce the shame or name it absolutely I mean I think think about all the things that you're scared to tell your partner and so you don't which means you don't give them the gift of knowing yourself better <laughs> right we were just sitting with our coach a week ago talking about this so it's clear I don't have this all figured out right I think there's like <laughs> layers and layers and layers to this absolutely um, it's so powerful to be able to to open up in that way so what can people do to build shame resiliency oh such a great question I love it um, yeah it's it's a lot of my work in this space it was <laughs> actually just kind of triggered. I, I was thinking about it for a long time, but I was reading Brene Brown's uh-huh. uh, book on shame. I love her. And it's so good. And, you know, I, I used to think, oh, I have to get over it. Shame sometimes comes in the form of like fear, you know, or like paralysis. For me, shame is kind of like a froze, you know, like I'm thinking, oh, I have this urge, but I'm like frozen. I can't do it. I used to think, oh, I have to get over, I have to get over this fear to have the courage to do something or to talk about something. And Brene had this great thing about how people who like live these lives without having shame run it is they don't get over their fear. They just do something despite the fear. Mm-hmm. And so this, this concept that, you know, to build shame resiliency, I think talking about it right. um, is a huge antidote to shame. Um, sometimes that's all it takes, to be honest. You 
what I love, I, I meet with a lot of women um, in groups to talk about sex. And what I love about it is, I mean, I could just have like four women together and I could just open up with a story about masturbation, <laughs> obviously, right. um, and, and then go around in the circle and have women share their experiences. So there's no like teaching. There's no advice giving. There's no trying to change someone's perspective. Like you shouldn't feel shame or you shouldn't feel this way. It's like, literally them just saying, here was my experience. Mm -hmm. So it's as simple as like just sharing your experience and talking with someone. And when that happens in a group like that, everyone's like, oh, I'm normal. I'm not alone. Like you guys feel that way too. And I like, even as I'm saying it, like my whole body's relaxing. Right, right. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, like this is just something I've like, kept inside for so long because I had so much shame about it, you know, or like talking to my partner about it. Sometimes I find friends is a little bit easier place to start because like with your partner, there's a lot of dynamics and so it right. can be sometimes hard. So friends is a nice like <laughs> gateway drug to talking to your partner. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, talking to your partner, talking to your kids. Those are all, I think, really, really wonderful ways. There's also like way more extreme ways of dealing with shame. Like I I really feel like I've just talked about masturbation this whole time. But um, <laughs> around that topic, I, um, I found this woman in New York who had been basically having circles with women since the 70s. She's like, I don't know, 86, 87 now. Um, and she's been ha- having circles with women since the 70s, basically sitting down and and hers is really extreme, right? It's not just talking about it, but she's like, okay, everyone get naked and let's look at everyone's vulvas mm-hmm. so we can see that this thing that we can't even see ourselves because it's like between our legs and we'd have to like twist to see it, right. see what they look like, see that they're all different colors, that they all have different hairstyles, that the lips are uneven and don't look like what they look like in porn. You know, that, that I know that's really extreme and I wouldn't expect like most of, <laughs> most of the population to do anything like that. But of course I was doing research and, and it was good right. for, for me to do, but it was so powerful to have that experience to be like, oh, I'm normal. Absolutely. I love that. I know how courageous of her because I feel just like, first of all, like expressing our vulnerability can connect us in a deeper level with another human being. Right. And also, I think with the absolutely see shame with everything, with addictions, with eating disorders, but also with sexuality, it's one of those things that unfortunately, as you were talking about earlier, that we haven't got like education necessarily, good education or any kind of like, you know, right materials. We don't know that much about it. And it's so easy to feel that I'm different. There's something wrong with me. I'm not fitting in this image. So I love that you were talking about like sharing with it and just listening can be very helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. I always think about you know, people are in different stages of being able to like look into some shame that they're feeling. Like sometimes, yeah, just reading about it or watching a TED talk is like all I'm ready to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's great books and resources for that. You know, sometimes I'm ready to, or blogs, you know, sometimes I'm ready to start talking about it. Um, and then sometimes I'm ready to actually seek help. Like, 
I have figured some of the stuff out, some of this stuff out, but like, I can't do it anymore alone. I actually need some help. Like, so that's where like coaches and therapists, um, are, are amazing people. Like I, I definitely, they've been important on my own journey and I see it for a lot of people because it's just this kind of acknowledgement of like, okay, <laughs> I need more people on my team, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. people to support me in, in figuring this out. Right. And as you were talking about, it's a journey. We might start with just going to even like listening to something like this podcast or watching a TED Talk and then kind of like maybe talking about it with a close friends or like family. So it's it can take a while until people are at the point that they can talk to like a group of people or like, you know, kind of naming it in like a bigger audience. Yeah, I'm actually I'm doing research on that right now because it was so important in my own journey to have this group of women, I mean, we just like randomly started getting together. But as Mm -hmm. I started like telling people about it, they're like, we should get together. And so like, you know, everyone was like pretending they were going to yoga and like putting on their (laughs) yoga clothes and we went to a park and now, now their husbands all know, and they're like pushing them out the door, go to that, that thing that Pam does. Um, (laughs) But like what I found was it was such a helpful thing. So I started putting together, because I think a lot of women are like, well, that sounds great. But like, I think we're just going to get together and stare at each other with wide eyes because we don't know what to say or to talk about. So I started putting together content for women to um, have these circles. So like, you know, in the first meeting, you could talk about social messages. In the second meeting, you could talk about body image, things like that, where I have like little discussion prompts because I think Uh some people are like, I don't even know where to start. Like I get that I would talk about it, maybe, but I don't know how... (laughs) How to right. have that conversation, you know? Yeah, it's so much easier if you're kind of going through the like outline you have versus oh, like the coming club. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I like the reframing of it. Do you uh, are you kind of like recruiting people for this research? What are you? Where are you with that? Yeah, so I'm, I'm about midstream through um, uh, collecting data. So yeah, if there's anyone that's listening to this podcast and wants to get involved, um, they can certainly just host a circle, anyways, even outside of the research. I I, I'm the materials are free, no strings attached, just the willingness to reach out and ask some friends if they want to talk about sex. <laughs> um, yeah, and if the timing works out that they can be part of the research, it's it's all optional and anonymous and all that good stuff. Oh, I love yeah. that. Can you uh, send me the link or just say it right now so people yeah. know if they're interested, how can sure. they participate? Sure. So it's down to there. Um, and if you see me, I'm pointing my fingers down, um, <laughs> down to there.com. Um, and there's a, a, a tab there um, that says circles and it's got some information and my contact information. Um, there's also a resources tab on that same website that has the books that I was talking about kind of categorized by various topics. Fantastic. Again, I'll make sure I put a link on it because I know sometimes people are driving, they're not able to write it down. That's great. And I definitely want to hear the results. So we got to have you back. (laughs) Wonderful. I'd love to come back. This has been a great conversation. All right. Same here. Have a great day. Okay. Thanks. Bye. I really enjoy talking to Pam. You can hear her excitement and her passion, even her voice when she talks about sexual education and the relationship between sexuality and shame and guilt. And this is something very close to my heart, the topic of shame and guilt around sexuality. As I mentioned during the interview, I grew up in a very shame-based environment, and that's why I'm 
feel very passionate about this topic. And also my other areas of specialties are addictions and eating disorders. And I see it every day in my practice that how feeling shameful about one's behavior, about one's body, number of different things can negatively impact people's life and gets in the way of them embracing who they are. One thing that I learned throughout these years is that when you talk about what you're feeling shameful about, whether it's in the circle, which would be fantastic, or even talking about it with a person, one person, one friend, colleague, or family member that you feel comfortable with, the pain you're experiencing will significantly get less. And I think based on my experience, the more we keep our shame secret, the worse it will get and the more powerful it will get. So almost without it, you take away the power from it. And I know that many people might not feel comfortable about talking about something that they feel shameful around sexuality and sex, or they might not have someone in their life that they feel safe talking about this struggles. One other option would be kind of looking at online that like there are different forums for a number of different things. And if you're feeling safe, kind of posting something about what you're feeling shameful about, or kind of like maybe experiment with it and see if it's a safe place, what kind of response you would get. And if hopefully it's supportive, how uh, the, the response that you get kind of reduce the burden. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so excited to hear from you guys. And next week, we're going to talk about masturbation. So feel free to send me your questions about masturbation, Dr. Maoli at sexology.com. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexology.com sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.